0: to do day and opportunity is in the air. This is Phillip with Soul Insights and you are tuned in to Good Morning Market, where everyday businesses are empowered to lead the market with the latest market news, insights, and strategy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Good Morning Market, wherever and however you're listening. This is the program that helps everyday businesses, bigger, smaller, doesn't matter, because we all have similar missions. We want to grow our business and there's Better and, and not so better ways to do that. One of the better ways, understand your target market. Um, work with best practices, listen to other folks who have gone before you and have been able to figure this out, and then we can we can learn from those successes, the latest insights on consumers and marketing and 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 can follow, you know, best practices, inspiration. That's what we're looking to do here every week and I got a really good episode for y'all today I'm really excited about. Of course, uh, this is all empowered by you. This is not a one-sided conversation. This is a two-sided conversation looking to build not only an audience but a community of business leaders where we can all learn from one another, contribute to one another. Please uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, um, every time you share the podcast, um, leave a review. Uh, share stuff on social. It's a really big deal to me. I I keep tabs on that and really appreciate that. And in terms of today's episode, we're going to talk about something I've been teeing up for a little bit now called the Customer Base Audit. It is a 2022 uh, book release that was co-authored by Peter Fader. And um, it it, it is, uh, you know, the, the result of decades of practice in the real world in the marketplace on how businesses can understand their their customers better in a more accurate representation, a more nuanced way, rather than just putting everybody into one box, you realize that, you know, there is no one box and you have to do the hard work, but the proven work to understand your customers and, and, and their individualness. Um, and their individuality, rather, to in, in order to best serve them and grow your business and be successful long term. That's what this book's about, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to get Peter Fader, who is one of those co-authors, um, on the podcast to discuss that with us, you and me. So buckle up, let's let's get into this. But first, we have to go over the economic news from this past week. I'm talking about the market roundup. Mm-hmm. This week, we have some important economic news to update y'all with. The first one comes from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Their latest release on personal income and outlays, I thought, was insightful. It's uh, for the period of July 2023 that came out within the past week. From that report, personal income increased $45 billion, or 0.2% at a monthly rate, in July. According to estimates released today by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, disposable personal income – just personal income less personal current taxes increased 7.3 billion, less than 0.1 of a percent, and personal consumption expenditures, or known as PCE, increased 144.6 billion, or 0.8 of a percent. The PCE price index increased 0.2 percent, excluding food and energy. The PCE price index increased 0.2 percent. Real DPI. Decreased 0.2% in July, and real PCE increased 0.6%, goods increased 0.9%, and services increased 0.4%. Just a quick, you know, observations from all those numbers I threw at you. I mean, it looks like at least for the month of July, that while um, income and and disposable income... um, Did increase slightly, not at the rate of inflation and then personal uh, consumption expenditure. So that's something certainly to keep uh, an eye on as we're going through the the year of 2023 economically. The last piece of news I have for y'all comes from the Wall Street Journal. The headline is America's trade trouble will continue. From that article, the U.S. trade deficit has been narrowing, and that has been a plus for the U.S. economy. But it is still far wider than it was before the pandemic hit odds are that it is going to stay that way for a while. The Commerce Department on Wednesday reported that the U.S. trade deficit was a seasonally adjusted $65 billion in July versus $63.7 billion in June. This was narrower than the $68 billion economists expected, and additionally, the June figure was revised lower. As a result, gross domestic product in the second quarter might be a little stronger than what has been reported, and third quarter GDP growth looks healthier than what economists have been penciling in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your Market Roundup for the week. Hello, everybody. I've been teeing up this guest for a little bit, building up the anticipation, and I'm really excited to uh, take you all to class. Class is in session, ladies and gentlemen. We both got a lot to work on. So, unless you're in a car presently for the podcast, make sure you got your notebook and pen and paper uh, ready. You know, if not, listen to it in the car and then go back and take some notes because this is going to be a fun one. So, I have Peter Fader with me today. Let me give you some background on him and then let's get into his book. Uh, which is the subject of our conversation. This uh, this gentleman is the Francis and Pei Huan Cha Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He is expertise centered around the analysis of behavioral data to understand and forecast customer shopping activities. He works with firms from a wide range of industries, telecom, financial services, entertainment, retailing, Managerial applications uh, focus on topics such as customer relationship management, lifetime value of the customer, and sales forecasting for new products. Much of his research highlights the consistent but often surprising behavioral patterns that exist across these industries and other seemingly different domains. In addition to his various roles and responsibilities at Wharton, Professor Fader co-founded a predictive analytics firm back in 2015, which was then sold to Nike back in 2018. He then co-founded and continues to run Theta, equity partners to commercialize his more recent work on customer-based corporate valuation. I've listened to some of this conversation, some really cool uh, developments in that uh, practice and industry. He's the author of Customer Centricity, Focus on the Right, Customers for Strategic Advantage and co-author with Sarah Toms on the book Customer Centricity Playbook. He's been quoted or featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Economist, Washington Post and on NPR, among, uh, among other media. And back in 2017, Professor Fader was named by Advertising Ages as one of its inaugural 25 marketing technology trollblazers and was the only academic on the list. Quite a lengthy intro, Pete, but we're actually here to talk about this book, which I believe is your newest release, is it not? That is right, The customer Base Audit. It's, it's the newest release,
1: but it's one that's been in planning stages far longer than the other ones. This is a a dream that goes back 20 years. Uh, And it's, it's been just an interesting journey and it's, it's great to see it realized.
0: Really funny. And I think that even it was referenced in some of you, you do a lot of really cool examples and a lot of them are anonymized. So we can actually look at real company data without, you know, uh, showing behind the curtains, per se. And it looks like, yeah, some of the examples you're talking going through this exercise are decades ago. So this is not a new practice, by any means, not even for you.
1: That's right. It, 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 these are uh, ideas that have been swirling around, battles that I've been fighting, practices that I've been promoting, really since the turn of the century. Uh, and in, in some sense, it's it's good that we waited, because I think uh, industry, your listeners, I think are mm-hmm. just in a better position now to take advantage of, of a lot of these, these learnings than, than would have been the case 20 years ago. We're just more sophisticated. There's a more of a competitive imperative to do it. Uh, date is better. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, good, good things happen for, for those who wait.
0: Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, uh, throwing myself in the thick of this arena and we, we might get into that a little bit. Um, I know you're an analytics guy, obviously, uh, and and I happen to do a little snooping and heard on another podcast that you like another uh, field that's really into analytics, which is Major League Baseball. Uh, My understanding is you're a Phillies guy, so I'm big into sports, especially baseball and my Atlanta Braves. So I got to ask you, from your analyst hat, not necessarily your fan hat, um, what are you looking at um, when it comes to the finish of the MLB season and the postseason, perhaps?
1: Oh, it's been it's been just a, a really interesting season Let, let's face it nLB itself has taken a lot of big bold steps this year and it seems like they've been paying off you know we, we, we always like to kind of criticize the leadership of of any sports league but sometimes you got to give credit where it's due so it's been mm-hmm. it's been exciting to watch it's been just I'd like to say it's been a horse race but uh but uh, that's only if you count the uh 1973 kentucky derby is a horse race when when secretariat was 31 lengths ahead i mean that that, that's where your brains are and they are a thoroughbred and they are built to run uh and it's just a question of uh whether the the long long regular season will be indicative of uh the the playoffs or whether Mm -hmm. the phillies can find a little bit of october magic like they did last year Uh, so you know uh, hope springs eternal
0: that's that's what's frustrating to me about baseball, of course, from where I'm sitting like, you know, I want things to be much tougher for the wild cards, but it is kind of that thing, you know, where baseball is a marathon followed by, you know, a sprint or a 200 meter dash. And it really is. If you get into the dance and you're hot and you're healthy at the right time, like the Phillies where if you get the roster where you can get hot, um, you know, that, that is what it is. So, I mean, as much as I love the Braves dominating um, you know, it all starts from scratch in, in October. I know the, you know, the Phillies and the Dodgers and some other teams are gonna have something to say about that, but I do agree that the, the rule changes have been a lot of, uh, fun. I, number one, I think is the quicker games has been a godsend for the game. I think a lot of more casual fans are going to tune in now. Um, there's more base running. I, as a purist did not like, um, Ending the shift, I want to put more responsibility in hitters to do their job. But, you know, it's all been a very fun brand of baseball to watch. So it's fun to hear that you're you're a baseball guy. And I I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're into the sabermetrics and some of the analytics that go along with it, too.
1: You know, I, I am. I actually was, I don't want to say inventing that stuff, but I was, uh, I'm old. <laughs> and before anyone knew who Bill James was, yep. uh, I, I, I hate to admit this. I grew up as a Yankee fan back in the, the early wow. 70s. Yeah. I you. Um, and I, and I was just, I would collect every bit of information and look for patterns and try to find you know appropriate summary statistics. I mean nothing compared to uh, what goes on today. Right. Um, so I was always into it, and and in many ways I'm kind of glad that I was born before all that stuff because otherwise mm-hmm. I I would have gone down such a rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice that I can enjoy this stuff I've had the, the privilege of doing a major project with Major League Baseball and work with many of the clubs including the Braves uh, mm-hmm. so so it's been fun to have access and to be able to you know go to World Series games and do stuff like that but at the same time not being consumed by it so I can right. enjoy it as a hobby uh, you know but but I can turn it off and it turns out that a lot of t- taking the same uh you know passion for metrics and prediction and all that sort of thing and applying it to customers instead uh, ends up being much more unique more fruitful uh and just just had a just a better opportunity to kind of move a needle um rather than being just one of a a million kind of smart engaged people doing it in the sports world
0: right and and to that point i i mean um, the spreadsheets are really important. Um, and, and these days, that's the way it is with business, too. Like, I enjoy watching the game and playing the game of business. But I mean, I think that that's what a lot of your book uh, gets into. But, you know, customer centricity it was a, a big release and, a, and a, a big book of yours with a lot of best practices for strategy. But you say uh, in the book that I own and, and read, Customer Based Audit, that a customer based audit is the first step to that, uh, that state, so to speak. Let me challenge you on this, or at least ask for the the naysayers out there. Can a business be customer-centric without a customer-based audit? Why or why not?
1: Uh, Yes. In fact, each one can be done independently of the other. So so actually, let me first flip the question the other way. Um, I think it's it's great for every company to do a customer-based audit, whether they're customer centric or not I and mean, even if, if it's just about developing and selling product 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 the health of the business is the health of the customer base so even if you're not kind of playing my kind of game and focusing mm-hmm. on the best customers and figure out what makes them different i'm um, just looking at your business through the lens of customer acquisition retention mm-hmm. development spend is just a more effective way to just Gauge how the business is doing, so you don't need to be doing a customer-centric thing to do an audit, and and therefore, vice versa, that then mm-hmm. you, you can actually um, be somewhat customer-centric without being um, as rigorous about the audit as we'd like companies to be. But mm-hmm. notice the, the way I said it, you can be somewhat, but you can't right. uh, achieve you can't achieve kind of you know peak customer-centricity unless you really are. Down there in the data, understanding the differences, quantifying them, being held accountable, and communicating them to internal and external stakeholders.
0: Right. And so you're like you're right. It is they they are technically ind- independent, but very, very, very related. And like I said, then it becomes an effectiveness and efficiency conversation, which I'm sure everybody listening to this, we as business leaders, we want to be maximally effective and efficient to our goals. The customer base audit, if you have those means to that end in mind, you do need to do a customer-based audit. Now, I will say um, one thing that one might assume had they not read your book is that this is all related to knowing your customer. Yes, I think you in the book, you you don't quite say that you want to differentiate uh, the audit and those practices slightly from knowing your customer as we discuss.
1: Yes. yeah. yeah I, I, look, knowing your customer, if we take those words literally, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great thing. But the way that they tend to be used in practice is in some kind of lightweight way that's often not accountable. Like, um, uh, First of all, talking about our customer in a singular sense is a big mistake mm-hmm. because there is no mm-hmm. customer. And, and so even for companies that take one baby step away from that, it's like, okay, okay, okay. We have three different kinds of customers and we're going to use personas. And we're going to say mm-hmm. we have working Wanda, busy Betty, and carpool Carla. And so we kind of grossly oversimplify the customer base. We'll Often come up with these 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 personas just out of our mm-hmm. imagination, as opposed to out of the data. Okay. Uh, and and so you know, knowing the customer at that that kind of shallow level um, can can often do more harm than good. Can give you this this false sense of of insight and confidence. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we just we just want to kind of get in there deep. Uh, and mm-hmm. and really, this is going to sound almost heretical. I don't want to think about customers as human beings. <laughs> I want to think about it as numbers. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and th- there's a lot of, uh, you know, one of the the hot topics these days, you know, we talk about B2B, to B2C. To mm-hmm. There's a lot of people talking about B2H, business to human. And, and I'm saying n- n- no. <laughs> right. Um, uh, let, let's let's think about our, our customers. Let, let's not worry so much about yeah all the, the 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 humany things obviously I don't want to be you know dehumanizing right. either right but but I'm going to trust the data more than I'm going to trust my my instincts about right. what it is that that people want and so
0: on so I, I like that point you know a lot of effectively how we'll talk about being customer centric and knowing our customer comes a lot with sweeping gestures and and personality driven personas and um, that kind of thing. We need to get into the data. And, and it, you actually one thing I think is I think ultimately encouraging for my target audience, which is more small and mid-sized businesses, typically under 10 million in, in annual revenue or under 100 uh, in terms of seat count. You talk about the power of customer centered descriptive analysis, which is counterintuitive to what most of us are doing, because you know, most of us think is the big fancy companies wanting to do predictive analytics and AI And then most all of us, big or small, are more product-centric in our analysis. You're talking about, hey, where it's at is customer-centered descriptive analysis. What does that mean um, in general? Or what what, what potential power is there for smaller and mid-sized companies if they were to approach that despite not having what they think are the fancy tools to do the cool stuff?
1: You know, it's kind of ironic that, some of the best, best practices of, of customer centricity, maybe not the audit so much, but customer centricity per se um, happens with small businesses. So, you know, you, you open up a coffee shop mm-hmm. and you know everybody walking in the door. At least you know the mm-hmm. regulars. And, mm-hmm. and you, you kind of know, you know, from, from, from the look on, on Harold's face that he had a tough day and you know what he's going to order and you slip him that free biscuit Mm -hmm. just because you know you know he's coming back tomorrow and he's worth it so a lot of these practices come naturally to small businesses Uh, but then the problem is Mm -hmm. you open up the second store
0: exactly into
1: a new (laughs) geographic area and all of a sudden a lot of that intimacy a lot of that understanding just goes out the window and then it's all about scaling it's all about you said efficiency and you actually lose some of the effectiveness in the process so part of what I'm trying to do, both with customer centricity and the audit, is to show that we can actually retain a, a lot mm. of that intimacy. We can basically just replace that innate sense of, you know, of, of, of Harold um, mm. uh, with data analytics and technology. That we can, we can continue to understand the differences across our customers and mm. leverage them and use them to drive mm-hmm. our, our, our tactics and our strategies. So I, so that, that's what I'm trying to do is basically mm-hmm. show big companies that they can actually emulate mm-hmm. those, those small intimate ones and, and do so uh, at scale um, by, by focusing on customers and differences among customers at least as much as we focus on the products
0: and that and that's beautiful because i think that's the way that you can actually scale strong high value relationships because like you said if if philip owns the coffee shop around the corner and i've got 50 regulars at the one place that i'm living and sleeping in my own coffee shop i can truly identify with my own eyes who are the high value relationships and who do i really pour into because there're 50 of them Well, what happens when you have five locations with 50 high value regulars? Okay. Now we've gone beyond. So, like you said, it it, we quickly turn into analysis scale and and maximizing this and that. You can do that, but you can no longer do it with your eye, your physical eyes. You have to put your eyes on data, and that's what the customer base audit does so beautifully. So I wanted to get into some of the other lessons. Uh, from the book and and touch on some strong, more specific points. First, let's listen to a a message from today's episode sponsor, Soul Insights. This episode is sponsored by Soul Insights. Is your business looking to hit the next level of growth? For many businesses, they know they need to spend more on marketing, but don't want to simply shoot in the dark. They want a smart, data-driven path to solid growth. If this is you, then Soul Insights can help you to identify, attract, and retain ideal customers. Soul Insights is a strategic marketing agency which helps small and mid-sized businesses understand their best customers, who they are, their shopping behavior, and acquire new best customers based on that data. Oh, and it's all measured and tracked to ensure you get more profit bang for your marketing buck. Head to soulinsights.com right now and take the 90-second quiz to find your path to the next level. One of the, my favorite quotes, uh, and I do have to admit. Listen, I I am a strategic marketer. I help businesses all the day, and I'm constantly trying to learn, you know, best practices and what's going to help my my clients win. Is I have been that guy in the past that came up with the the avatars and the personas, and your average customer is this, and you know, and I've worked with that. Your book says there is no average customer. I need you, Pete, to explain this and why distributions. Or more helpful to businesses than averages
1: it's it this goes back to the origins of marketing as we know it you know back in the late 50s early 60s the mad men era when Mm -hmm. we had no ability to to see the differences among our customers it was just a matter of coming up with the product the Mm -hmm. message to aim at Mm -hmm. the customer and it was pretty quick we we started to discover that not all customers were the same we started to discover that we'd have these Segments of customers uh, and, mm-hmm. and so on, um, and, and that be, that created just a real dilemma for companies because now all of a sudden we're going to have to have different messages for the different segments, and God yeah. forbid we might even have to change the product mm-hmm. to be able to you know package it or, or communicate it or sell it differently, to different kinds of customers, and again that would that would uh, hurt the efficiency. Uh, mm-hmm. And all we're doing is taking that to a natural extreme. So, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of companies, that's where they stop. They said, okay, fine, we have our three segment, the high, medium, low, that's enough. Right. But today, again, given the kinds of data that we have, given the kinds of, of, of technology, our, the, the analytics capabilities, and the competitive imperative, knowing that as soon as yeah. we come up with a good idea, our competitors are going to have it tomorrow, that yep. we, we, we just we are obligated just to kind of, you know, get in deeper, get in a more granular way, and start to do so at an earlier stage. Because like we said, a lot of small businesses were just focused on product, product, product. And mm-hmm. at some point when growth plateaus, they said, you know what, now we should start doing the customer centric thing. Too bad mm-hmm. we didn't do all that tagging and tracking back when we were young and small. So yeah. it's, it's a matter of starting to set the right practices early on. Even if you're gonna be product centric. But knowing that down the road, three, four years from now, you might wanna make that pivot. You might wanna mm-hmm. start thinking about some of this stuff. Uh, you need to start doing the audit type thing sooner rather than later, so mm-hmm. that you know when that time comes, it's not just a matter of flipping a switch, that mm-hmm. you have the infrastructure, the data capabilities, and just the understanding to start to treat different customers differently.
0: Now, to get Absolutely. to the heart
1: of your point, Instead Mm -hmm. of just saying there's two kinds of customers or three kinds of customers, turns out that there's a vast variety of customers. Turns out that the differences, the heterogeneity, as I like to call it, is Mm -hmm. is tremendous. Your customers are wildly different from each other. We're talking orders of magnitude different from Mm -hmm. the best to the worst. And so these differences across customers used to be a nuisance for companies to deal with. I like to look at it as an opportunity. That if we can see that spread, if we can understand what makes those, you know, orders of magnitude, more valuable customers different and and leverage them and find more like them, then we can make more money in a sustainable, defendable, ethical way than simply Mm -hmm. kind of playing it right down the middle at that so-called average customer.
0: Well, I'll lament on the behalf of small and mid-sized businesses. I've been hearing in in the marketing, you know, influential circles for years, personalization, personalization, personalization. I know that there's probably, you know, less helpful versions of that. It may just be marketing puffery. But the big companies, because, you know, we as small businesses will look at them with their big data sets and their ability to, you know, do this cool stuff is they can really do a lot of personalized um service and even you know customized product lines like you know nike famously has where you can like literally build your own shoe and have it delivered to your door within a week and it's literally designed and made for you um I don't know. I don't know that I'm necessarily asking a question. I guess lamenting on top of your point is that it has been a tension point for the smarter, smaller businesses who understand where everything's going. Is This level of personalization that is, dare I say, expected now amongst consumers and business customers, uh, it could be daunting. And I guess that's why we just we can't get better. We have to get better and just have better ways to understand our customers and their orders of magnitudes of difference.
1: And, wh- and, and let me just restate what you just said. Uh, if personalization is the ultimate goal, that's running, that's sprinting. You got to walk before you can run. You first have yeah. to understand the difference across the customers. That's just, it's fundamental to personalization, mm-hmm. it's fundamental to good business. So let's not even worry about doing the, the, the customize this, the, the personalize mm-hmm. that just yet. There'll mm-hmm. be time for that. But let's just start by looking at our transaction logs. Kind of boring and just mm-hmm. understanding the differences in how often people buy from us and you know how many items are in their cart and how much they mm-hmm. spend when they do and how this cohort of customers that we just acquired mm-hmm. is different than the one before or the one after. Basic blocking and tackling. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and some of that will lead to the personalization, but that's not necessarily why we're doing it. We're doing it just to run our business more effectively. Um, which then leads to, you know, personalization, it leads to product development. It leads to collaborations with other firms, but it all comes from
0: the customer level data. I agree. So let's, let's get our, our fastball down and be able to locate our fastball before we start throwing the slurs and the sliders. So through that point, you mentioned cohorts, I actually I'm gonna have to once again. I'm I'm a student. I'm learning this. Is you know I would even look at like Shopify dashboards and see cohort analysis, and I would basically gloss over it. Okay, Cohorts. What what is that all about? And then I read this book, and next thing you know, I have a retail client that's a you know a multi million dollar retail client, multiple locations, omni omni channel, and I pulled out the cohort analysis after reading your book, and like it just because turns out customers. Change over time. Cohort analysis is important. Um, for those of us who don't know, what kind of insights do these C3 analysis and cohort analysis produce in the customer-based audit process?
1: So let's back up a, a step and just make sure we're all clear on what we're talking about here. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people out there who use the word cohort and segment interchangeably. that yeah. you know, at, yeah. again at the, at the highest level, it's a bunch of customers. Um, But they're actually very, very different from each other, and they're very complementary. So when we're talking about cohorts, we're talking about a group of customers who were acquired at the same time. They could be wildly different from each other. In other words, within a cohort of customers, within the customers that we acquired in Q1 2022, there will be segments, there will be differences, there will be some high, mediums, and lows. Mm -hmm. so let's be really clear on what we're talking about because you are you said it exactly right i'm so glad you're honest about it that that sometimes people will gloss over sometimes people will say you know this doesn't really matter to me why are they just throwing all these words at me it's really 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 important it's more important to be doing a cohort analysis than it is to be doing the segmentation analysis but look at this group of customers that we acquired at a certain point in time understand what they're all about again maybe use the segmentation to do some of that understanding but then asking the question, how is this cohort different than the one that preceded it? And different from the one before that? If we mm-hmm. just mush all of our customers together, even if we're kind of you know looking at the difference across them, it's really important to recognize that the newbies, the ones that we just acquired, are going to go through some big changes. You know, what, what happens is you acquire a bunch of customers. They kick the tires. They, they, they try you out. They buy you once or twice. And a lot of them leave. A lot of them say, you know what? Don't need this. This is no better than the other thing that I had. It's not as good as I thought. And that's okay. So you're going to see this, this very, very uh, strong shakeout process with each group of customers you acquire. You, you just have to know... That most of those customers who made their first purchase with you again, you know, uh, say today, um, w- won't still be buying from you, or will be rarely buying from you a year from now. That's right. okay. It doesn't right. mean that you failed. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that that uh, that you you need to go back there and chase them down and say, please, please, please come back. I'll give you a big discount if you do. Right. Um, uh, so so understanding the these laws of gravity, these laws of nature is it's is just it's it's so important so when we're looking at the newbies we know that's going to happen when we're looking at the older cohorts it, it already has happened yeah and so there they are apples and oranges these different cohorts and so it's important to do the analysis at the cohort level so we avoid making mistakes or avoid mm-hmm. having fruit salad by, mm-hmm. by mushing together these different customer groups and it turns out that not only do we see some really strong systematic patterns within a cohort, the shakeout, as I just described it, but we also see, generally see some strong patterns across cohorts. What happens is the first cohorts we acquire are awesome. These are customers who love us, who've been lining up around the block waiting for our product. But the Mm -hmm. next cohort, the next cohort, the next cohort, they tend to get a little bit worse. This is generally what happens. We start scraping the barrel. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's important to understand these dynamics within and across cohorts. Shopify, you mentioned them, I have such respect for what they do. I have mm-hmm. such respect for a lot of the folks who sell through Shopify is mm-hmm. they are changing the rules, they are changing the mm-hmm. language, they are changing the metrics and practices of how mm-hmm. small businesses operate. And, and I think that, that they, again, these, these online sellers through Shopify are going to bring their practices with them so mm-hmm. that you know other small businesses that maybe aren't selling through shopify will start to adopt those same practices as well including mm-hmm. cohort analysis right uh, and, and that's going to be just just golden it's, we're really going to get to the point where the big giant enterprises are going to be looking at the small nimble ones mm-hmm. to be uh, learning from them yeah. instead of yeah. the other way
0: around one follow-up on that, just to make sure I'm tracking, because I, I think this is extremely profound, because once again, a lot of us get trapped in um, just the monetary value or product stuff. Uh, recency, frequency, monetary value, there's a lot of time in there. Customer, lifetime, value, time. Um, I believe in the C3 analysis you talk about, I believe it's, you know, it's the customer, it's the time, and then it's the product. The time, 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 time. Um, if we're trying to acquire high value customers, retain them and develop them, why is looking at time based analysis so important to being able to do those three things well?
1: So a couple of things. Number one, I've, as I just referred to, we do have these time dynamics within cohort. We do have these time <laughs> dynamics across cohorts. So so time is is just a critical dimension. We we it's great to take a snapshot, you know. In in some sense, a lot of the analyses in the book, you know, you you just jump right to the cohorts. That's Mm -hmm. what we call lens three. Right. But lenses one and two are just snapshots. Let's just take a picture of the customer base at, at at a point in time, or compare that picture across two points in time. So there's a a lot of value just in the kind of you know non time. Uh, aspects, So let's not yeah. ignore those. But but where the rubber meets the road um, is really understanding the dynamics over time. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, that d- doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. You, you yeah. kind of have to kind of force yourself to look at things that way. And so what I'm trying to do is, first of all, to to make it a little bit easier to do by, by kind of laying out a roadmap. By basically uh, uh, pointing out some of the, the the big upside potential by doing it that way, um, mm-hmm. uh, and to to go one step further, instead of just looking at our customer base, you know how they have evolved over time, to start saying, and what will they do next? And that's right. where the whole lifetime value yes. thing comes in. We don't yes. really talk about that in the book. The book is purely right. descriptive. The book right. is purely historical. But we hope that once people see these patterns, Mm time-based and otherwise, that Mm -hmm. it will beg the question, so what will they do next and for how long? And how will Mm -hmm. this cohort evolve compared to that cohort? Uh, And that kind of opens the door to lifetime value, which opens the door to customer-based corporate valuation, Right. something I know you want to talk about. Um, right. So it's you know, it's it's one step at a time. The the audit is just the the right way to start to, to start to organize this kind of thinking, and the practices that come from. It.
0: And to the point, you know, as I was reading through the book, you're very slow and methodical and just talking about the the analysis first. Here's how you do the different lenses. And then it's really at the very end of the book where we then we talk about getting actionable insights from that. I know that you've highlighted a little bit uh, already, hinted at a little bit, and it is in the book. But just for the listeners so they can understand the light at the end of the tunnel, because ultimately you're going to do these different lenses to ultimately help guide your business on what it should do next. Um, what are some of the, what is maybe one guiding principle, um, when you're doing these, uh, you know, these lenses to then get those actionable insights?
1: And and first, yeah, as a professor. I got to profess. So first I'm going to take the, 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 the step back, uh, You know, too often, it is actions that drive analysis. We're about to launch this new product. Hey, we're about to go to a new geographic area. Hey, we're about to have a campaign. And that Mm -hmm. determines what kinds of analyses we're going to do. I think that's a mistake. So one of the nice things about the audit is the the regularity of it, the boringness, the routine Mm -hmm. of it. I think it's so important to be doing the audit all the time, regardless of what actions you're taking. So let's okay. just run this audit. Again, it's 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 like any kind of audit, like a like a you know a medical checkup or anything that you do on a routine basis. You're just you're just doing it not because you're expecting anything interesting. In fact, like when it comes to medical appointments, boring is good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: maybe the same thing with your customer base. So first thing is to kind of lead with the analysis and then see what kinds of actions arise from it. As opposed smart. to you know letting the actions drive the analysis. So see so here's and there's just a ton of examples towards the end of the book. Big mm-hmm. shout out for our our third co-author Michael Ross. You know, he's mm-hmm. a practitioner. He himself has run a number of small businesses, uh, and but he was he's just super smart. And had just did a lot of these analyses on his own, and then it was sort of almost a coincidental uh, meeting, and the to so say you know what more companies should be doing this so here's a here's a really specific one when we want to look at uh, our, our product line don't just do so in terms of how many units of each product we sell because you know too often if we're having if we're having some you know e- economic headwinds or we're, ha- we're doing battle with our distributors and we got to prune down the product line well which items are we going to get rid of well duh that's a stupid question we're going to get rid of the ones we sell the least of. Right. That's often a big mistake. What we want to do is to look at our products, not on their own, but through Mm -hmm. the lens of the customers who buy them. Yep. And if we find out that certain products are disproportionately purchased by high value customers, Mm -hmm. it might be the case that we don't sell a lot of units of those particular products. But if that's the gateway drug that helps us acquire mm-hmm. really valuable customers who are then going to buy a lot of other stuff from us, then those products got to be at the top of the list of the ones that we keep. Yep. So that's just an important analysis. Again, we kind of almost bury it in the way back of the book when we talk about mm-hmm. bringing back the product dimension. But mm-hmm. but I want every company to look at its products yes. through the lens of the, the value the customers buy. Because... The products that we sell the most of will generally be the ones that we're selling to a lot of those one and done customers. Yep. Like I said before, the, the, sometimes those weird niche products that are the ones that are that are really appealing to those high value customers. You would mm-hmm. not see that just from the, the aggregate product information, but when mm-hmm. you go one level deeper with something like an audit, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> Right. But it really will change the way you you go to market, the way you do R and D, the way yep. you promote your product. So, I mean, that's just one mm-hmm. example, but, it, but I think it's it's very typical of 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 how you can be leveraging an audit just to operate more effectively.
0: And it's once again you're 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 now using data and the data that's right under our noses to capture the nuance that we're just glossing over or ignoring entirely because once again, none of these products are purchased in isolated vacuums. I even thought like well you could probably do the same exercise like if you had a, you know a lot of different retail physical locations and one as an in, in isolation was not very profitable do we need to shut down the store well if you found out that a lot of your highest value customers who then shop online because they first saw the store and then went into the store and made their first purchase well then that changes the math on how truly profitable or valuable that story is. And, you know, um, and Neil's book, he talks about, you know, CLV analysis can then lead you to figure out which acquisition channels were most influential when it comes to marketing campaigns to get in your highest value customers. Under the product lens, you're basically saying the same thing. It's just, okay, instead of acquisition channel, now we're talking about acquisition product. So now the math changes in in context about how profitable a product line may be. So it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Let me ask you a follow up on this for, you know, the people who are hopefully getting excited and wanting to do this uh, exercise within their own businesses is for quote unquote smaller businesses, however extreme you want to go with that term is what do you think will be the most challenging task to to going through the analysis exercise of the the audit?
1: So it, I, I hate these words. It depends. Uh, if, if you're selling predominantly online, if you're a Shopify business
0: Yep. It's easy.
1: You have all of that data at your fingertips. You have it good. You actually have it better than a big company mm-hmm. does. It's just that mm-hmm. you haven't, uh, there's a good chance, haven't invested in kind of, you know, the, the data infrastructure, the CRM systems. You're just taking yep. the, the very basic reports that you're getting from Shopify or maybe some third party vendors you're working with. Um, you, you need to invest in that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you got to realize that maybe not today. Today, it's just about pushing products out the door. I get that. But tomorrow, it's going to be about understanding the difference across the customers. So so it's, it's making sure that you have the right data infrastructure in play. Now, if you're not a Shopify business and you have people paying cash and it's much harder to tag right. and track them, um, that can be a big challenge. And mm-hmm. that's why you, you need to start thinking early on about setting up the loyalty program, the yep. mobile app, or some other mechanism, whereas people buy from you, even if they are paying cash, you want to get them to raise their hand and self-identify. Yep. Um, you want to make it worth their while to do so, whether it's discounts, or whether it is value added services that you can provide to them, make yes. them wants to know that, uh, Hey, it's me making the purchase. You know, please link it up with the other purchases I've made. And then being very careful to use that data wisely without getting all creepy about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It it all starts with being able to collect and connect that data at a a granular customer level. Again, getting far easier to do that all the time, but companies tending not to prioritize that.
0: And and I'll just say to the audience on, on Pete's point is, um, even if you're, you know, a smaller business or you've got a lot of cash-paying customers, if you go to launch something like a loyalty program where you can actually start to be able to track your relationship with your customers over time, you know, there's there's ways that you can get better or worse adoption. But I tell you what, if you really make a genuine effort at it, your higher or highest value customers are likely to get on board with you trying to, you know, create some kind of genuine added value through a loyalty program. And then if you could start to capture at least that aspect of it, you're a long ways better. Um, with that kind of data measurement and, and, and transaction database than you are without it. So, you know, uh, don't kill the the good in pursuit of the perfect and and, and get started. So, I love closing, that point.
1: I, yeah, I love go that. Ahead. Uh, I just want to say, real quick, you know, you've been doing a great job, and I appreciate it, kind of giving all the shout-outs to book number three. But in book number one, Customer Centricity, there's a whole chapter in the back where we talk about CRM systems and their importance okay. and the kinds of things that a small business should be focusing on. I'm looking at Natasha, who's running a small hair salon and basically asking the kinds of questions, what kind of data is like important versus just nice to know? And again, mm-hmm. what kinds of decisions are gonna arise from that? So um, so I, I very much have small business in mind, even if most of the examples are, you know, great big businesses, I think the lessons are very broadly
0: applicable. Perfect. Um, now it's time for, uh, Everybody to think about what do they do now. Now we've you kind of you've shown them the path and you've put the challenge to them and you've made it easy for them to be able to uh, access this. You know, a uh, customer base audit is available for sale across basically wherever you get books, and then ditto once you finish that with going into customer centricity. What actions do you hope? the customer-based audit provokes in in small and mid-sized businesses. So let's go right
1: back to the subtitle, right? Because the audit is not an end unto itself. It is the first step on the journey to customer centricity. You know, I wrote all of these books as means for action. I just want to get people to wake up and say, whoa, wait a minute, it's different out there. And whoa, wait a minute, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of these models that I've built have very strong implications about the actions to be taken but a lot of them are kind of unconventional and so people need you know they need their hand held a little bit and that's yeah. where the startups come in and again i'm not here to try to push my own particular companies you mentioned zodiac mm-hmm. the one we sold mm-hmm. nike theta mm-hmm. the one that we're running now um, and there's lots of other companies out there that, that are, that are mm-hmm doing this stuff very, very effectively. So again, not uh, toot my own horn here. In fact, I wish there were a zillion companies mm-hmm. that were helping companies leverage customer lifetime value and figure mm-hmm. out you know, what kind of message we should be sending to which kind of person. I want mm-hmm. that kind of, if you call it personalization, that kind mm-hmm. of customization, I really do want that to become more rule than exception even for small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of things that we do, and again, here I go again, um, You know, uh, shout out to book number two, uh, the Customer Centricity Playbook, Implement a Winning mm-hmm. Strategy by Focusing on Customer Lifetime Value. Just lots of tactical trips, uh, uh, tips and tricks um, to be able to start leveraging this stuff. Uh, so lots of examples out there, uh, and I just want to see more companies using them. And I'm just delighted by what i've seen in the you know 10 years or so since i started writing these books and people like yourself who are out there helping to spread the gospel and Mm -hmm. and make some of these practices more regular
0: uh i know for my own benefit it has been it's it's opening up i know that you know like you said the the boringness is the beauty of it um i definitely am seeing the beauty and and the the boringness that is the customer-based audit so Thank you, Pete, for spending time with us. Um, you definitely referenced the three books, of which I've only read book one, so it sounds like I myself have some homework. Maybe we'll be able to get you back on some time to talk about the the next steps. But uh, where can people uh, connect with you, follow you, be it your company or other uh, stuff you got out there?
1: So uh, I'm easy to find. Google my name. That's, and I'm happy to chat. I love uh, you know, getting people to really understand and leverage this stuff. But Theta, uh, it, I, I want to recommend it again. I'm not here to sell anything, mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. for, for me, it's also a great platform to put a lot of these ideas and case studies out there. So yes. lots of good blog posts and uh, and and you know and, and and interviews and things like that. So if people go to thetaclv.com, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of good insights. Again, broadly applicable, uh, and and love to keep the conversation going.
0: I will uh, reference uh, Theta CLV in the show notes. I will also reference the customer-based audit released in 2022 by Peter Fader, Bruce Hardy, and Michael Ross. Great read. 100% recommend. Pete, thank you so much for your time and and for sharing your insights with us.
1: I really appreciate the the chance to do so. I I love your questions, your passion for it, uh, and, and the way that you are helping to shape a lot of best practices
0: out there. I really appreciate it, Pete. Um, have a great finish of the year. Bye now. Definitely took some notes. I'm going to need to listen to this one again to reflect. Um, Definitely going to need to go back to the book behind me if you're watching for reference. Um, There's a lot of takeaways. I mean, I really, I'll just go ahead and say it now. You know, I I highly recommend if you are uh, a VP of business development, if you are uh, a chief of marketing, if you're a CEO. Whatever, you need to get the book uh, if you're in one of those roles because this is the way smart companies are growing. I mean I'm not saying that hyperbolically. That's just the case. So a lot of different insights. Let me just um, quickly go over a couple from this conversation with Pete that were really revealing to me. Number one is one that I've made, and and I think that, once again, I I think it's it's better than nothing. I just think that there's better ways to do it when it comes to profiling customers and trying to understand your customers is – You know these customer avatars, and um, you know coming up with these profiles of well, you know our customers are this and that, and this and that in terms of demographics and and habits and why they want. I think that that's actually a a good thing, and there's something to that. You know, and breaking it down into a couple segments, it is good. It's just incomplete. If that's all you're doing, you are making broad strokes and sweeping generalizations about. You know, if your book of business is. You know, more than three or four people. You know, you're going to get to a point where you are oversimplifying and you're caricaturing your your customers. Once again, I, I think that that can be a starting point. Um, and I think that if you actually do the customer base audit first, and then you build out um, the picture with some additional qualitative market research to um, have a more accurate data informed profile. In addition to maybe some interactions and and getting feedback to profile customers. Like, listen, I'm not against customer avatars. I, I, I do them. But when you're only doing that and you're not actually just following the money, like what Pete's talking about, you're going to have a very, very caricatured incomplete picture and it's going to result in a lot more pain and slow g- growth, and customer attrition, and uh, difficulty in acquiring new high-value customers, and keeping those high-value customers. If you were just working with uh, a-, a customer avatar that was built on you know sweeping generalizations, that was not built on actually looking at a, a customer. Uh, transaction history and, and seeing how that stuff Changes over time Because people change over time your, your your avatars are static But your customers are not So it's really important To avoid those traps Number two If you do the exercise Of the customer base audit Or pieces of the customer base audit You know any of the lenses You will find actionable insights Alright so That's kind of like a motivation To go through the nitty gritty Of breaking out the tables And and making the charts And doing the statistical analysis you will find out um, trends uh, from the past, what has happened on how your customers buy uh, in terms of what products to buy at first and then what products they start to buy and diversify, cross sell, upsell over time. You will start to learn where your higher value customers come through in terms of acquisition channel. You'll start to learn in terms of um, uh, how they are organically. Uh, uh, and the frequency and and what they end up buying at at what frequency and in what sequence, the more you know about stuff like that, the more you can change your product offers to get them on board and then to get them buying more frequently and adding bigger cars and trying out more of your uh, product portfolio. The more that you can know how to tailor your messages, plural, and your acquisition channels, plural, to attract these different unique people – ...through the, the best way based off of what they've already done in the past. If you can actually get out that map and get out those tables, you, everything um, in your entire business can be tailored to all these different customer types if you can just lay out the big picture on how these folks are organically interacting with your business over time. If you can do that, you can start to get more nuanced and more sophisticated and more tailored starting from the most simple fundamental blocking and tackling and working your way up over time to where your entire product portfolio, your entire marketing system, um, your entire delivery model, your customer service, everything can can. Uh, get better and better at walking and chewing gum at the same time that's how the smart companies are are growing and so if you want to grow the smart way you're going to have to go through these exercises to understanding your customers behaviors um and and what they want and what they're actually doing so uh, the final thing i'll quickly say is like p said um in terms of you know oh it's too hard or you know i have to do this or that and i, I don't know how to do it like or I don't have the data. If you're a digitally native company, like um, Pete said, you know Shopify, any of these, um, you know, uh, 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 these point of sale systems to be able to track and ID customers and keep track of all the transaction history, you really don't have an excuse. All the data is there. It's just a matter of knowing how to wield it and manipulate it. Um, if you don't um, have that kind of business, um, you need to adapt and overcome to where you can better. I identify customers get them to raise their hand he obviously mentioned loyalty programs that's a great way and I've heard him talk on another podcast that you know if you're business to business and you don't have a loyalty uh, program because you're not necessarily you know heavily transaction based you're more contract based that just really means that your your job is a lot easier because it's a lot easier to um, identify your customers are not nearly as anonymous and you don't have as nearly as many transactions through which to sift so that just means your job is much more straightforward and simpler um in the end this practice is very accessible to to businesses small and big b2b b2c doesn't matter uh you can do it and in the book does show you how to do that so as we're bringing it home. Um, You may be uh, in that boat where you're like, well, okay, I'm sold. I think that the customer base audit is the first step to customer centricity. I do want to be customer centric. I do want to be a successful business, and I do want to do the proven method for uh, achieving that in, which is um, auditing my customer base. But you're like, well, where do I start? Well, I'll I'll go ahead and throw my hat in the ring. Philip Scroggins, Solar Insights, absolutely is prepared to help your business um, be able to start down that journey. Um, You know... uh, we can both look through that together, uh, learn together, and, and take a look at your business and what your goals are and challenges are to see um, what kind of considerations we would have in conducting your own customer base audit. But if you would like to have that discussion about potentially uh, lining up a, a, an audit for your own business, please email me Philip with two L's at SoulInsights.com. That's Philip at SoulInsights.com. Heck, if you even want to, you know, clue me in immediately, you can put the customer base audit in the subject line or just put customer base audit and uh, we can line up some time to talk and and talk through options please connect with me on linkedin at phillipscrog and and enjoy connecting with all of y'all and remember in order to lead your market you must first hear and know your market